All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast, episode 37 today. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold um, Hockey Production Studio. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? Doing great. Episode what, 37? 37, moving along, yeah. Well, I'm excited. We have a, a different guest here in the hockey world. We actually have a, a pro referee, a linesman. Andrew, why don't you get into the introduction? Yeah, so today we have a special guest, uh, Paul Carnathan. So Paul began working in the ECHL in 2001 and 2002, and since, and since then has worked over 600 games in the league, as well as uh, the Kelly Cup Finals in 05, 06, and 07. He also worked in the American Hockey League for over 15 seasons, including the Calder Cup Finals in 2009 and 2010. Paul has worked in other leagues, such as the NAHL, what is known as, and the USHL but has also made over half dozen appearances for the IIHF, as known as the International Ice Hockey Federation, including the 2010 World Juniors Championship in Canada, World Championships in 2011 in Slovakia, 2013 in Finland, and lastly, Sweden, 2000, or in Sweden and then 2015 in the Czech Republic. It was a mouthful. This guy has over 20 years of pro experience, and we were so excited for our first linesman guest on our show. So without further ado, please welcome our special guest, Paul Carnathan. Now, Paul, I got a question real quick. Am I pronouncing your last name right? Yeah, my grandma always said, just like Jonathan, so you guys nailed it. Yep. Carnathan, awesome. Well, go ahead, Dad. Let's start off with the first question. Yeah, Paul, so um, you've had an amazing career. You're the first pro linesman. Can you take us from the beginning? Um, when did you think that uh, being a, a, an official was going to be a good career path for you? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. One I get a lot. Um, it's uh, I always want to be involved in in the game and and just skate as much as I could. And I actually started as a teenager. Um, I didn't want to go flip burgers at McDonald's or you know do whatever. So this is just a good way to make a little extra cash and uh, get some more ice time and and stay involved. So um, I at that point I lived in Colorado and um, one of my teammates. Uh, he, he was officiating and his father was, uh, very instrumental in the officiating world, Gary Pedigo senior, who, uh, unfortunately just passed, but, um, you know, there, there was a core group in Colorado who, who got me going and got my start and, and, uh, I'm, I'm coaching now I'm coaching my, uh, my nine-year-old little guy, Max. And, um, that's how I started was, was doing squirt games, you know, the same level my son's playing. So. So obviously you had to go through a, a lot of training and things like that. And I'm sure. So I think he cut out there, but yeah. So Paul, I'd like to go to the next question. Um, so people like to dog on referees quite a bit. You guys are out there. the entire. Uh, but when did you think uh, when you hit the. Uh, yeah, I think my dad's having trouble. So Paul, people like to. <laughs> sorry about that delay paul so people like to dog on referees quite a bit but you guys are out there the entire 60 minutes people don't quite i guess realize that um so what does it take to stay in shape in order to be a linesman at the pro level especially all the way to, to the ahl yeah so the you know for the guys who ever worked with me i was never the uh the most gifted physical specimen, right? I had to just really rely on 
my, my brains. And the good thing about hockey is the higher you go, uh, the kind of easier it is to work because you kind of know where the plays are going to be, you know, what's going to happen. But I will say that has all changed. So you guys have seen the game change over the last, you know, 20 plus years, 25 years. And when I broke in, you know, it, it, it was fast, but it's not as fast as it is now. The guys that are getting hired anymore to the NHL and the higher levels these days, a lot of them are, you know, former players um, or certainly guys who are in tip-top shape. And, and they've got to work on their skating. They have to work on their physical conditioning, look at nutrition, all those types of things. And I think that's true not only with the players, uh, but also officials. So the game's kind of evolved. Um, not only with the players, but also the officiating. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to work in the minors with some of the guys who are now, you know, enjoying success in the National Hockey League. And I can tell you it's, it's a year-round job for those guys in regards to making sure they stay in shape, making sure they're working on their skating, making sure they're working on their conditioning. Because at, to your point, it's just – it's so fast now and, and there's no breaks, right, for, for the officials – you're out there for 60 minutes. So you've, you've really got to use your head. If you're skating as hard as you can for 60 minutes straight, you're probably not going to last. So it's, you have to work hard to get where you need to be in the proper sight lines to make the call and then try and rest up and then get to your next, your next place. So speaking of then, do you guys ever have uh, like uh, I would assume linesmen or officials tryouts for these leagues or is it, you know, and have like a fitness test or is it kind of all um, done a different way? Yeah, absolutely. So every league is run a little bit differently. So, you know, I, I worked in the NCHC National Collegiate Hockey Conference. And I also, as you guys mentioned, worked in the ECHL and the American League and IHF. And every one of those leagues are going to do a little differently. Um, and so in regards to tryouts, you're usually scouted um, by officiating coaches or managers, which is actually what I what I do now for the ECHL. Now I'm off the ice um, where we'll take a look at guys and see what guys we want to bring in. But back in my day, you know, I was invited to NHL. Basically they, they called it a prospect camp or um, development camp through USA hockey. And that's how they would scout guys. Um, but now they've got what's called the combine where uh, I'm sure you guys have seen over the past years, guys are coming in who don't necessarily have officiating experience that are just trying to give it a try. And like I mentioned, a lot of those guys are, are former players and, and they get invited to a combine to try out for the NHL. But I hope that that helps. But yeah, it, it just depends on the league. And it also depends on kind of the career path or where you're at in that process. Yeah. And just to follow up with that question, this is one for a little later, but so what is the process then? Let's say um, we'll go to your ECHL days for, for an example. Um, so whenever you get hired and everything, how are you assigned games for the season? Are you um, assigned a specific division, conference, or is it kind of just all random? Yeah, good question. And so there, a lot of the referees and your full-time guys, the guys who are going to work, you know, 80-plus games a year in that league for the year, um, they're doing it full-time. They're going to be living in a league apartment somewhere. So for the linesman, a lot of times it's fairly regional and fairly local where you're going to be going. My rookie year in the ECHL, I, I was living in Baton Rouge. And um, <clears throat> I would work primarily in the southeast on the I-10 corridor back in the day when there were a whole bunch of teams, you know, up and down I-10. The referees will end up moving around a lot more just because um, kind of sensitivity around their, their job relative to the game. 
So they're usually more of a national um, perspective. And that's still true to this day. I mean, it, referees in the American League and referees in the ECHL are typically getting on flights. And we get our schedule, you know, two, three weeks at a time. And you just kind of go, go from there. And wherever you're assigned, that's where you end up going. Um, once it comes playoff time, it usually goes, you know, game by game. Um, depending on how the games go and how far you advance and then moving on series. But I know like talking to some of the minor league baseball guys that they'll have their schedule for the entire year. Um, that's not the case in hockey and hockey in every league I've worked, it's done pretty much, you know, two, three, four week segments. And then you work that schedule and then the next schedule comes out. Paul, when you first started with the East coast league and your first say, uh, you know, six games, what were some things that were a big surprise to you that really opened your eyes to officiating? Um, to me, the, the ECHL was just, it was such a step up from what I had worked. Um, and I got into pro hockey. You guys probably don't even recall this league, but there was, a, there was a league called the West Coast Hockey League back in the day. And as I mentioned, I started officiating in Colorado. And um, Don Adam, who's a who's a legend within USA Hockey and one of the best amateur officials never to to be hired by the NHL. He actually ran. He was one of the officiating development coaches for the West Coast League. And I was going to the University of Colorado at the time and he ended up giving me games in the West Coast League. So I had worked in the West Coast League. And then I'm, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but they call it the ODP, the officiating development program for USA Hockey. And <clears throat> I was working you know, junior games up in Montana or out in Omaha, Nebraska or whatever it was. And I worked the USHL and worked the finals in the, in the USHL. Um, not a big deal to, to quote another podcast, but um, after I worked that the finals in the USHL, I got hired to East Coast League. And I, I was really excited to go. I remember going to my first training camp. It was right after um, obviously September 11th in, in 2001 and went down to, to Baton Rouge and I had uh, I had a gentleman by the name of Justin St. Pierre, who was my roommate, who's now refereeing the NHL, and another guy named Brad Sotak. And we didn't know each other. We, you know, we all moved in together. And after camp, it's here you go, you go work. And Brad and I were both rookies, and Justin was a veteran in the league, and we'd worked with some other veteran referees who'd been down there for a little bit. And the biggest thing you 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 note right away is I'm not dealing with kids anymore. These are all pros. These are all guys who this is their livelihood. They're trying to make the next level and they're big, they're strong. And I don't know if I can swear on this podcast or not, but you can't be. Sure. Yeah. You can't, you can't bullshit a pro. Um, you might get away with it in junior hockey, but there's no bullshit in uh, a pro player. So I learned a lot that first year, not just about, you know, the game, but how to conduct yourself and, how to communicate because you can't look a grown man in the eye and try and lie to him. It's not going to work. <clears throat> you know, you mentioned uh, the West Coast League, and I actually uh, went to a uh, uh, some games in the West Coast Hockey, the Tucson Gila Monsters, if you remember. Wow. That. Yep. yep. I worked a lot in, so, uh, in Colorado. But, yeah, it was funny. You know, you, you see guys from, from there and then – guys that referee as players and then they end up being coaches or whatever else in the coast in the, in the ECHL down the road. So, um, you know, Steve Martinson, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard that name or not, but he, he's a coach in the ECHL and he was a coach in the West coast league. And 
you know, it's funny how you see names that pop up from, you know, 20 years ago. So fans kind of forget that, you know, when they're excited, when the fights happen on the ice, that there are linesmen in the middle of these fights, breaking it up. Um, and that's pretty crazy when you think about it, Paul, especially from a, a fan's perspective. So what kind of mindset did you have to do in order to willingly jump in the middle of two guys that are over six foot swinging from the fences? I mean, did you not ever think you were going to get hit or was it just kind of like, nah, it's part of the job. So obviously I've been punched my career. Uh, you try not to be. And, you know, we go through a lot of training either throughout USA hockey or in the, uh, in the various training camps. And you kind of, again, earn your stripes in junior hockey or, or, or work your way up through pro. But as I mentioned, the games evolved, you guys, you know, back when I started pro hockey, guys would line up and you knew they were going to go right off the draw. And, you know, there were four or five veterans per team in the ECHL and, and same thing in the, the American league. I mean, I think you guys have heard war stories about, you know, the early two thousands in the American league and how tough some of the teams were. Um, but those guys knew what they were doing. You know, those guys, they had a job to do. They accepted their job. And it's funny. I think any referee, any lines will tell you, tough guys are the nicest guys on the team usually. Um, they, they have to fight each other. But as far as if I need a guy to talk to on the ice, they're usually pretty level-headed and they're, they're pretty cool, calm, and collected. So the biggest thing in regards to letting fighters fight is if you've got two true heavyweights who actually want to engage in a fight, you let them fight and you let them fight until they're done or somebody's being taken advantage of. And there's, there's still a code in hockey. Um, once that fight's kind of over, that fight's kind of over for the most part. And that's when we go in. Now, when you have to jump in early is when, you know, it's, it's not an even matchup. You've got a tough guy who's trying to take liberties on somebody who's not a willing combatant, whatever the case might be. And you guys have seen that happen in games and that's how games boil over. But um, typically, you know, you, you, you can pick your spot. And I, you know, I worked about a thousand um, pro games in my career and I don't recall too many times where um, I, I really took a solid punch because the, the players have a job to do. They know their job. Your partner has a job to do and we're going into fights together. We're not going in alone. So there's kind of a, a, a method to madness and a code and it kind of sorts itself out. Well, was there, was there a times where uh, the linesman maybe received word from, uh, you know, higher above in the league to jump in early to kind of curtail fighting? Um, I would say, I don't recall the exact date, but I remember there was a time where, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we're not going to do the whole song and dance, you know, staged fighting that kind of got out. Right. So if guys weren't going to drop the mitts and get right after it and they were going to stage for a while, then we were going to break it up. So, um, so I think you'll see that most of the time today, like guys drop their gloves and they go right at it. And again, if the directive we get from the league is in pretty much a league, if you, other than college hockey, obviously, if, if, if you have two guys that want to fight, let them fight. I mean, the, the fans want to see it. Um, I can tell you as an official, sometimes I'm not saying we want to fight, but sometimes a game kind of, if we have a fight, the intensity of the game gets back to a place where it's more manageable 
and guys focus on playing hockey and, and maybe a score is settled as opposed to having to have that game on the edge all the time. So I'm kind of an old school guy. If you guys haven't figured that one out yet, I'm kind of, I, I frankly, I miss some of the toughness in the game um, from what I had it. But that being said, the guys are so good and so fast and so skilled now that fighting isn't, doesn't have the place in the game that it used to be good, bad, or otherwise. So kind of jumping around with questions here, Paul. So uh, there are obvious stereotypes among the hockey world, like, you know, goalies are known to be real weird and everything, things like that. So is there a stereotype or a personality among the circle um, of linesmen and officials, or is it just kind of a bunch of retired players and just some officials or is there some personalities? No, I, I, that's a great question. I do think, listen, it takes a certain type of individual to be willing to get screamed at from fans, coaches, and players. And no matter what your decision is, half the building isn't going to like it uh, every night. And so I think it does take a certain type of mentality to do that. Um, goalies are lunatics, by the way, to this day. And the funny thing about it is a lot of goaltenders end up becoming officials. I don't know if that's because they're, they're <laughs> shit crazy or, or because they're used to standing there for 60 minutes and watching the game, but there do tend to be a lot of goaltenders who end up becoming officials. Um, but I will say this, um, and you, you probably heard this from other officials. It's a very tight knit group. I mean, the, the main reason I lasted as long as I did, once I knew I wasn't going to the NHL and once, you know, I, I worked as high as I was going to in, in the international level, I stuck around cause the guys in the game and, you know, I'm on text threads every day with, however many different officials uh, just shooting the shit because we're all very tight knit and good friends. And, and it's one of the best parts of, of the job, frankly. So Paul, bring us into the behind the scenes, look in the locker room before a game. So for hockey, you got the coach, you got the captains, everybody's talking up the game, getting the motivation high. What's going on in the referee room? So yeah, good question. I think it depends on the time of the year, right? So like in the playoffs, we are always going to have a meeting with the officiating coach because you're going to have a supervisor at every single game. And, and I do that job now, right? So if, if I'm a supervisor, if somebody's going to be there, I'm always going to go down to the room before the game, say hi to the guys. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, invariably you talk about travel, you talk about where guys have been, who they've seen, who they worked with. And then you're going to end up looking at, you know, there's always a game sheet in the room, right? So, okay, who, who, who do we have to keep an eye out for? And it's not that we're targeting anybody. It's just, uh, hey, if this guy's got, you know, however many penalty minutes, it's probably somebody we need to pay attention to, right? So we're, we're in tune with standings. We're in tune with, okay, these guys are on a schneid. They're probably going to be frustrated because they haven't won in however long. Um, but I'll say this everybody's got a different warm-up routine and guys kind of do it, you know, however they want to do it. I got in a routine where, you know, I, I would come in, kind of look at the notes, have my coffee. I always had coffee before every game, have my coffee and, uh, and then stretch a little bit and warm up as needed. And a lot of guys now they go play uh, just like players do, you know, they go play um, soccer or, or, you know, whatever before the game, jump rope, ride the bike, whatever they need to do to get going. Cause we don't go out on the ice for warm-up. So once we're out on the ice, it's time to go. So you got to do what you got to do to get ready. Um, and, and again, as you get long, you know, farther along in the year, as the games get more intense and more meaningful, 
then you're probably going to have more discussion about the game itself. But um, prior to it, it's a, a lot of it's just, especially if it's a guy you haven't worked with before, hey, what are your, kind of your tendencies after you drop the puck or what do you do at, at, at the blue line or positioning, little stuff like that. Um, so so uh, what is the relationship like then off the ice with some of the team, either the coaches or the players? Do you guys have to – kind of stay away from everybody just wave to each other or do you guys get to know each other no when you're full-time in a league I mean you're seeing the same teams all the time right <clears throat> and and um you know sometimes you'll see guys either at a restaurant or whatever after the game that type of thing um you've got you build relationships on the ice and I think you build credibility on the ice and um, it's a little tough when you're, when you're a new guy or a rookie, but when you've been around a while and you're seeing the same guys over and over again, you build rapport and you build respect. So are we friends with players? No. Like, do we fraternize with them or hang out with them? Or are we going to have beer with them after the game? No, not to, that's not something we're going to do. Um, but if you're passing each other in the hallway, I think, especially at the pro and, you know, upper levels of hockey guys have an understanding that you're there to do a job. And they have a certain level of respect for you. So um, there's guys who uh, coaches and players alike who are completely, you know, lunatics when they're either behind the bench or on the ice and you see them away from, away from the game, whether it's at the rink for a practice rank or something, like I said, I'm coaching my kid now and I'll, I'll see players at the rink or you might see them at establishment after the game, grabbing a bite, whatever it is. And most guys like, like I said, for the most part, people are very respectful. They understand you have a job to do and, and they're friendly, but it's not like we're hanging out with them. So as mentioned in the introduction, Paul, you did suit up uh, for the Kelly finals on three separate occasions. So kind of a two-part question. Um, first of all, I mean, what were your experiences overall and, uh, and the intensity um, compared to maybe even other playoff matches, um, but also which series was the most fun to be a part of and why? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, so, yeah, like I said, towards the end of the season, the intensity wraps, ramps up big time, right? So the um, the games get pretty intense during the last couple months of the regular season. And then from there, you start going into the playoffs. And your mentality as an official is you got to work one period of time and one game at a time. And, you know, the guys who – it's based on merit and the guys who work well and are skating well and um, making good calls, they move on to the next round. So yeah, I was fortunate to work, you know, th three cups um, in the ECHL when I was working my way towards, you know, potentially taking a run at the NHL. And then um, the NHL asked me to move to, to Philly during one of my development camps. And, um, and then I worked uh, the Calder cup and in, in the American league a couple of times and, that barn in Hershey, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's it's a crazy place. The first time I worked the Calder Cup in a Hershey was amazing. And 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 I think it was, you know, the first time in 2004 I worked uh, for Brian Graham when he was in charge in the ECHL um, down in Florida. Same, same type of deal. I mean, anytime you're working a game and guys are competing for a trophy, it's special to you. Um, you guys can't see me here, um, but I've got – frame jerseys on my walls from, from, you know, my first cups that I've done in my, you know, my first gold medal game and, and, and that type of thing. And those are the types of things you treasure because I can tell you as bad as the players want to be there, the officials want to be there too.
So when you when you get called up to the AHL, um, it, it's kind of like being you know a player being called up. Take us through how did you find out that you moved up to the AHL, and um, how were you notified? Yeah, so a lot of guys um, they'll work both in the ECHL and the American League. That's not uncommon. Um, there's some nights you might work Friday in the East Coast League or ECHL Saturday in the American League and then back to ECHL on Sunday. Um, so my first year, my rookie year, I was living full-time in Baton Rouge. I strictly worked the ECHL. And then in 2002, I got into the American Hockey League because I was moving up to North Carolina and uh, there was a team in Norfolk. And that's that's where I started working. So um, there was a guy by the name of Mark Hamlet lived in uh, – in the Raleigh area that I worked with quite a bit and Terry Wicklum would come up from Augusta, Georgia and, and a few other guys. We'd work a ton of games there in the Norfolk area. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, they, they have games to fill and they're looking for, you know, guys who are capable who can do it. So once I kind of proved that at the ECHL level, I was able to get a shot at the American league level and, um, and, and go from there. And the first game I ever worked in the American league was in Norfolk and, in uh, 2002 with, with Scott Pimento, who's one of my best friends. And uh, we, we started out together and we actually worked our last American League game together in, in Hershey too. So it's kind of cool how that ends up working out. But I can tell you, it's obviously a little faster in the American League. It's a little different type of play, but the ECHL has gotten so good anymore, guys. That is it, is it, um, is it a, a jump? Sure. Is it as big a jump as it used to be? I don't think so. So how competitive is the world of becoming a pro linesman? I mean, how, how truly hard is it, you know, to get to the, even the ECHL level and the AHL level? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, if you look at the numbers, there's roughly, you know, 30,000 officials in, in America. And then, you know, you may have a hundred plus guys on staff at the ECHL um, at various levels. So to become full-time, I think is, is, fairly uh it's 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 a good achievement i mean a lot of folks haven't gotten there right so anytime you're able to work at the level of like an echl it's an honor um and something to be proud of but i can tell you just about every official wants to move on and wants to move to the next level and um become full-time at that level and, and keep working and keep progressing um what's kind of changed i don't know how in tune you guys are with this is the nhl has kind of taken the stance now where they're hiring just former players um, to NHL contracts to work in the minors, whether it's at the American league level or, or, or wherever and trying to quote unquote, teach them to officiate. Um, and so that that's changed things a bit because, you know, when I started in the ECHL in the American league, I was trying to, I was trying to get hired by the NHL. And now it's like, you have to have a hockey DB um, resume to even get looked at. So, Paul, we're actually from Tulsa, Oklahoma, believe it or not. So we have a e ECHL team here, the uh, Oilers. Yep. And uh, you mentioned you mentioned Martinson, who's a great coach down there in Allen. Yep. So we watch these um, linesmen at uh, that come through Tulsa. And some of them, you can tell it's a learning curve for them. But like you said, you have coaches here in Tulsa. We got, you know, uh, Rob Murray. You must have run into Murray in your career. And... And, you know, these guys are screaming and yelling at these linesmen of bad uh, offsides or icing. 
And it almost seems like some of these young guys are like ready to cry. So how much, uh, how hard is it to kind of take that when you're a young referee earning your, your stripes to, uh, you know, keep that thick skin on when these former NHL coaches are, uh, or players are now screaming at you, telling you, you know, come on, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. And a lot of the time, like I, uh, when I'm instructing camps now at the level I'm at now and, and guys told me, um, you know, when I was coming up, a lot of times coaches, they're not necessarily yelling at you. They're yelling at the Jersey and, and they're frustrated for whatever reason. And the, the longer you go along in the game, the more you realize that they've got a job to do and they're, they're trying to get their team fired up and they're trying to gain a competitive advantage. However that is right. So um, is there screaming and yelling? Sure. Um, some of it, might be for show, but then I can tell you again, um, there were times that I probably did want to cry, <laughs> but you don't do it. You know, you, you try and figure out, okay, which coaches are yelling just because they're going to yell, right. Which you almost tune those guys out, which guys are yelling because they actually have a legitimate beef or something to bitch about. And did, did I, is, are they yelling for a reason or, or are they yelling just to yell? Right. So, the more time that you're in a league, again, I kind of talked about before that respect factor, that rapport. Um, towards the end of my career, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really get yelled a whole hell of a lot at a whole hell of a lot. And if I did, I was probably either barking back at him, which I probably shouldn't have done some of the times I did, um, or that coach or player probably had a legitimate beef and I probably need to look in the mirror and see why didn't I make the call? Why was I in the right position? What happened? to cause me to miss it. Was I just late? Was I not reacting? Whatever the case might be. Right. So, um, for newer guys or rookie officials, yeah, you're, you're going to take some heat, but I think if the players and coaches see that you're working hard, you're trying your best and you're doing what you can to be consistent and be fair and call the game evenly, you're going to gain respect and credibility and, and you're not going to get yelled at the entire time. So I know that's a bit long winded answer, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where, it's it's expected it's part of the job but you you learn to overcome it and learn to adapt and you learn again to build relationships with those guys so who gets bitched at more the head referees or the linesmen oh the referees by far yeah no it's linesmen get yelled at from time to time but a lot of times um you know the, the easy part for a linesman when it comes to that is you're standing literally right in front of their bench right so it's easy for a coach to be like complaining to us about the ref or complaining just <laughs> like, dude, tell your buddy to wake up or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, but the referees, you know, they're the ones putting teams on power play. And, you, you know, you guys look at the stats, I'm sure on your podcast, like folks look at what the PP percentage is, what the PK percentage is. That's what win games. Right. So those are the controversial calls. Those are the ones that swing games. And, I'll be honest with you, lining, um, it's, it's a difficult job. I'm not trying to, you know, downplay any of that because it is a difficult job, but you're, you know, you're right most of the time. We're right a hell of a lot more we're wrong. There's a lot more subjectivity and uh, guys view, view things the other way when they're going to have to go kill off a penalty for the next two minutes or their leading scorer sitting in the box or whatever the case might be, right? So – Going back to your AHL days then, Paul, what was the craziest fighter scrum that just pops up in your head immediately um, that you had to break up? So this one, I, 
I, I would uh, encourage you and your listeners um, to go look up Norfolk Lowell. Uh, it was during the lockout season, and <clears throat> we actually had both coaches going at it. Um, it was in, I want to say, 2012 season. We had both coaches going at it. Um, we had players going at it. We had a goalie fight. My partner, who I mentioned earlier, Hammer, Mark Hamlet, broke his leg halfway through. This is one of the um, three-man official games back before we had four four officials on the ice, only one referee. And uh, Dave Andrews, who was the president of the league, was at, at the game. And so there was a there was a fan club, like two buses full of Hurricanes fans came over because they were the the Lowell um, affiliate at the time, and like Commodores on the ice, all these guys are on the ice. But it ends up with Cam Ward and Michael Layton beating the shit out of each other at the very end but it's like it's like a 12 minute fight but that was by far the craziest uh brawl i was a part of what about the uh the fans any crazy fan stories uh you know well first of all i guess my question should be um when you're getting screamed at you know you uh you know you made a bad call on the uh offsides or whatever like that how how loud can you hear the fans screaming at you and um, do you have any stories where fans get out of control? Uh, good question. I mean, it's really dependent on the rink. Um, I'd say in general, like if an entire arena is booing at you, you're going to hear that, right? Um, if one drunk guy who's sitting up in the stands who is pissed off at his wife and is going to go take it out on me at the game, <laughs> I don't usually hear it, right? Like you will hear guys um, – <laughs> You'll hear guys like coming off the ice, like you guys suck this, that, and the other thing, whatever, like those guys. And, and I'm not trying to offend your, uh, your listeners here, but most of the fans don't know the freaking rules. Like they just don't. So you take it with a grain of salt and you also understand that, like, I would say most officials actually love the fans. The fans are the ones who bring the energy to the game. I could tell you, you know, coming out of the pandemic, everything else, it's way better when we have fans in the stands. And we want packed arenas. We want, you know, loud arenas. Um, so you kind of take it with a grain of salt when you're coming on or off the ice. But I can tell you in the minors, some of these guys get really creative. That, you know, there's there's the – down in Charleston in the ECHL, there's one guy who's always sitting there. He's got the drawing of the referee with his head up his ass. And then there's always the <laughs> eye charts. Um, you know, there's there's a guy here in Atlanta in the ECHL, which they, they didn't play this past season because of the pandemic, but they'll be there next year. And there's a guy that sits down the corner. He starts in his Gladiators jersey, and invariably, depending on how happy he is with the official that game, by the end of the game, he's going to have on a referee jersey with the cane and with the glasses, and, and we love that kind of stuff. So um, you learn not to be worried about it because, you know, ultimately – the fans aren't the ones determining your next assignment or whether or not you're going to continue on your officiating career. Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> you know, we, we also understand that if one fans are, wouldn't be in game. So uh, you don't get too worried about that. It's more, Hey, what, what do the coaches say? What do the players say? And do they have a legitimate concern? So I know you kind of talked about it earlier, Paul, um, when you're trying to make decisions and you got everybody um, kind of yelling at you, even coaches. And so is it hard that, you know, let's say you make 
you know, what they think is a wrong offside call and they're getting on to you. And if they keep getting on to you, is it hard to stay confident in your decision? Do you ever start to think like, man, maybe it wasn't right. Or are you always pretty, I mean, you have to be confident in your decision. Yeah. And you know, I'll just be totally honest with you guys. It's as to be an official, there's a fine line between confidence and cockiness or arrogance and ego, right? Like you have to be confident in what you're doing. Otherwise you're going to get eaten alive. Like you guys were talking about um, because players see it, coaches see it, fans see it, right? If you're confident in what you're doing and you know that you made the right call, you've got to be confident about your call, but I'd be lying to you guys. If there weren't close ones, you know, going into the zone in games where we didn't have replay, I was like, shit, I don't know about that one. Please get the puck out. Please get the puck out. Or I waved off an icing. <laughs> I waved off an icing that probably may have been an icing or wasn't. And for whatever reason, you know, I'm making a last second judgment call and you're going, just get this thing out, ice puck, whatever you got to do. So um, I'll, I'll say this, like the good officials know when they make a mistake. And the, the key to it is limiting those mistakes and trying to figure out, okay, why did I make that mistake? And I kind of alluded to that earlier, but like, did I not hustle you in position? What happened? Was I blocked out? What was my sight line? Whatever the case might be. But, you know, I think most coaches and players, if, if you shit the bed and you say, Hey, you know what? I blew that one. I apologize guys. I'll work. Not going to happen again. Most of the time, if it's not costing them a goal or something like that, they're going to say, Hey, Carney, no worries. I got you just don't miss the next one. And you're working your butt out the rest of the night to make sure you don't miss the next one. So, you know, again, any official who's kind of worth his weight uh, isn't going to be, be making a ton of mistakes night in, night out. So, Paul, uh, something that I'm noticing more and more at the NHL level is on the, in the face-off circle of the, you know, and I understand that the players, there's rules. One, you know, team has to have their stick down before the other, but it seems like everybody's being thrown out of the face-off circle. The referee's not dropping the puck. Everybody's getting pissed off. But what is actually going on there with that linesman that's trying to drop the puck? Yeah, good question. And, that, and I think it's, you know, there was a crackdown in the NHL. I think it's kind of trickled its way down maybe about five, six, seven years ago, somewhere, somewhere in that time frame. But we've always, you know, we've always got a, a protocol as to who's got to put their stick down first. And it depends on leagues. Some leagues – it's a visiting player, some leagues, it's the attacking player, defending player. And, and again, it just depends on the league, but um, something I always tell linesmen that I'm teaching, or even if I'm going to supervise games now, like you've got to have a protocol and you kind of have to stick to what you're going to do every single face off as a linesman, because ultimately the reason you're seeing more and more guys kicked out is because um if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? So somebody's always trying to cheat every single face-off, okay? Whether it's spinning their skate, whether it's putting their stick down, hitting the other guy's stick, um, you know, whatever it is, somebody's trying to cheat. And the reason somebody's trying to cheat is you guys see the scoring opportunities that come out of, you know, those face-offs. And you guys have seen how many goals where linesman puts it on the puck, the guy wins back to a point, goes D to D, it's in the back of the net. And if it's not a fair draw, you're going to have some upset coaches and players and people are going to be pissed at you. So um, you're always communicating with these guys and telling them what you expect. So, you know, if it's, if it's the attack, or excuse me, the visiting team putting their stick down first, I'd always say white, he puts a stick down, blue, he puts a stick down. And then as an official, as a linesman, you have a half a second to, to make sure, okay, is this face off fair? It's not always going to be perfect, but is it fair? And if it's fair, yes, get the puck down. If somebody cheated, 
or did some of the things that we talked about before, again, that's when you're going to see guys getting kicked out. And, and I know it gets frustrating to fans and <clears throat> trust me, I've heard more than one drop the puck chant in my day. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there's such a high focus on what comes out of those face-offs that I think it's a hockey ops thing, certainly at the pro level. I mean, you guys heard about it in, in the, in the Boston series, right? They're complaining about Patrice Bergeron and him cheating on draws, which he's one of the, you know, the best players uh, to play the game. Um, but that's, that's how it is. You know what I mean? So I, I can get from a fan perspective, how that'd be frustrating, but it really is so important to make sure those draws are fair. So how do you communicate at the international level if they don't understand English? Great question. Um, I can tell you this. Uh, I, I got to work at a bunch of different tournaments in a bunch of different countries. They all know every swear word in English. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> they know how to use it. Um, but they at least know their team's colors and they also know the expectation of the IIHF rules in regards to who has to put their stick down first. Um, when you start working like world men's and that type of thing, if you look at the composition of the teams of the international teams, a lot of them are NHL players or guys who have played in the NHL. Maybe they're back in the KHL now, or they're playing in Sweden or, or in Austria or whatever the case might be, but they've, they've at least had a cup of coffee in the NHL or played in the pro league, the American league, whatever it is over in North America. So the official language of the IHF is actually English. Um, to be able to officiate at a higher level, those guys are supposed to be able to be fluent in English. I can tell you there's some guys uh, that I officiated with in, in world championships that could speak English better than others. Um, but the, the language of hockey is pretty universal and certain things like stick or whatever it is, they at least know those words. So Paul, we could obviously go on for hours of questions. So before we move on to our lightning round questions, which my father will explain here in just a second, I did want to ask, so out of all of your appearances in the IIHF, um, which one was your favorite to be involved in and why? Yeah, so th this one is a no-brainer. It's the easiest easiest answer I'll have all day. I had the, had the opportunity to work the uh, 2015 gold medal game in, in Prague in Czech Republic, um, Canada, Russia. Um, actually the, the kind of the hyper, the guys in it, you know, Crosby, Ovechkin, uh, Malkin, Giroux, like go down the list. I mean, just some amazing players. Uh, the game itself wasn't all that great. It ended up six, one Canada. They smoked them. Um, but just to be on the ice, <coughs> excuse me, excuse me, <coughs> just be on the ice with those guys, um, at that level was, was just amazing. And, um, something I had always dreamed of working, you know, that high level. So um, that's the game that always sticks out and, and the one I'll, I'll always cherish. Paul, before we get to the lightning round questions, where we're just going to ask very quick questions to you and try to get a response from you. Um, I did see a YouTube video recently. I don't know how old it is. And you have a, a bunch of fans, about a hundred of them that sat together that are, that are referees in various leagues, whatever. And uh, they, you know, dressed in the uh, referee uniform and every icing, every offside, they stood up and cheered. <laughs> Have you ever seen that video? I did see that. I want to say it's a group of actual officials. I don't know. Um, I think it's pretty awesome either way. Again, like I was talking about with the fans earlier, it's pretty cool. Um, we, you know, we mentioned earlier, we've got no home games, right? So uh, every game's an away game. Uh, so just to have any sort of support is actually pretty cool. 
Um, but if nothing else, it's pr- pretty hilarious. It reminds me, I don't know if you guys saw that baseball thing where there was a couple guys dressed up as umpires and stuff behind home plate and, you know, did the same thing, ringing guys up and hilarious, what, whatever you want to do. But, yeah, I found that pretty cool. I'm not sure if they're officials or not, but pretty funny. All right, so lightning round question. Uh, you can answer with a story or just a few words. It's up to you. So, um, first of all, which league – paid the best and was your favorite league Ooh. uh ihf pays the best when you're talking like pound for pound because you get per diem and you're and you're getting game fee um but that's not sustainable it's only for a short tournament um pays fairly similar in the american league and the echl and i like them both differently i still work for the echl so i have a special affinity for the ECHL and they gave me my start, but some of the games I worked in the American league were just amazing. And then also again, working the, the frozen four working for the NCHC. So I can't pick one. That's like asking to pick, you know, your favorite kid. I only have one kid, so it makes it easy for me, <laughs> but yeah, they're all just, they're all a little different. And I know that's not exactly a lightning answer, but I can't really pick one. What is the funniest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game? Uh, most embarrassing thing I was in Baton Rouge going to put the puck down at center ice for a shootout. And I went completely ass over tea kettle and just fell and there's nothing going on at all. So (laughs) in the middle of the ice, nobody else on the ice. And I just started doing like the swimming motion and the fans, I mean, they, they started losing it. It was hilarious, but that was the most embarrassing thing for me. Um, funny. I could tell you all kinds of stories, but that, that all has to do with, players and their responses favorite linesman to work with Ooh, damn that's a really tough one i mean i go with scott pimento um he you know like i said one of my one of my best friends we worked our first american league game and our last one together so yeah i'll, I'll go with poma considering every arena you worked in which one had the worst ice conditions <sighs> Oh man, I worked in some really, you know, tough ones in, in various, like, you know, in the United Hockey League, um, or, you know, the I-10 corridor can get pretty hot during, during the spring months, uh, in the ECHL. So, uh, I can't remember one specific arena off the top of my hand, uh, top of my head, but I can tell you, um, some of the ice in the minors is not exactly the same ice that the guys have either at international level or uh, at the pro, like the NHL level. I'll, I'll just say that. Craziest game you've ever experienced as an official. Yeah. I go back to that Norfolk Lowell game. Um, it was just, it was nuts. Look it up on YouTube. Um, but yeah, that was the end of the first period crazy brawl and then we had more fights in the second period and we had to one and one the game I've, uh, yeah i've never had any anything like that one so paul this will be the last question and i kind of already know the answer to this because i like i said we did our research on you so when i ask this question i'm excluding your ec the echl all-star game that you did but what is your favorite memory as an on-ice official hmm um it, it would probably be those, you know, those, those all streams, the American league and ECHL my last year, um, just be able to share that with my son. He, you know, he came and skated out with me, um, took a lap with me in my last ECHL game. That was pretty cool. So I think it, it wasn't necessarily, 
you know, one game. Um, we've talked about some of them, whether it's the world championships, that type of thing, but just being able to share that, um, you know, with Max and have him remember it and come out on the ice with me, that, that was pretty, pretty special. Well, we can't thank you enough uh, for joining us here. And this has been uh, awesome for Andrew and I, because we actually get to talk to an, uh, an official, which I don't think too many fans get to do, but we want to thank you very much for uh, coming on our, our little podcast. I uh, really enjoyed it guys brought up some, some really great memories and uh, I'm excited to check out the podcast. And if you guys have any follow-up questions you think of, let me know. And uh, if, if you want to talk to some of the referees, some of the guys, maybe we could talk offline if you're, if your listeners not like it, because there's some characters in this group, like I said. Awesome. Yeah. Well, hang on. We're going to uh, pause this and we'll say goodbye off air. So just hang on one moment. Okay, Andrew, talking to our first uh, pro officiating referee. What do you think? Yeah, man. Uh, obviously some very cool stories. Um, and yeah, like, uh, you had said off air, I believe, um, you know, we could have asked them so many more questions. We didn't even get through all of them. Uh, so it was, it was very fun and I can't wait to hopefully have them back on the show and can hear some more stories. Absolutely. And, uh, we will have them back on, uh, we, we didn't get through all of our questions, but again, we try to keep our podcast about an hour, no more than an hour. Sometimes we go a little bit over, but we're branching out a little bit here this week and actually next week. Uh, who's our next guest, Andrew? If I'm pronouncing his last name right, it's Jeff Tuay, or at least it's spelled two as in the number two and hey together, H-E-Y. So Jeff Tuay, um, he was the general manager. Oh, God, I'm already blanking, but he was in the OHL um, for a team for quite some time and then was uh, a scout for the Arizona Coyotes for uh, altogether about nine years and was director of amateur scouting for an additional five with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, so yeah, this guy will definitely be somebody interesting to talk to. So a um, former GM and former NHL director of amateur scouting. Yeah, just to give uh, our listener and our podcast uh, a little bit broader uh, uh, content, if we will, about the world of hockey. So we hope that the listeners will enjoy this as well. And we certainly have some more player guests coming on as well. So I think we'll close it out here, Andrew. And uh we will catch everybody on the next podcast. So episode 37 complete. All righty. Well, everybody have a good rest of the weekend. We hope you enjoy this episode.